Welcome to episode 34 of Mike's Notes. Today, we talk about NFL predictions with Bill Simmons. In late August 2016, Bill Simmons was a podcast with his friend Joe House and cousin Sal to talk about the NFL lines for the coming year. That is, they were going to talk about the different gambling odds for different NFL teams and divisions and different bets that they could make. And um, I've always been interested in Simmons's podcast, but it wasn't until I read Philip Tetlock's book, Super Forecasting, and then heard his NBA show with similar over-under predictions to what he did with the NFL show, that things really started to click for me for how Bill Simmons makes predictions. I've written on the waiter's pad that I think Bill Simmons is a super forecaster. He does a lot of things that Tetlock says he saw in Good Forecasters. He updates his beliefs. He chooses his bets wisely. He values external information and internal information and then arrives at a decision after considering both of those things. So his podcast on the NFL lines and bets was with Cousin Sal and Joe House, and that's what we're going to look at today. There were a few things that they talked about that I thought we could get into. Ready? One. I'm going to give the odds. We're going to say what we think. Now, this is an important distinction for the people out there. Mm-hmm. We're not saying who we think is going to win the division. We're going to say what we think is the best bet. Best value, right? Best value mm-hmm. for each division. So we're going to go through the division. Bet. I really liked how Simmons introduced the idea of what they were doing with this precept, that it wasn't about who was going to win, but it was the best value um, for what their wagers could be. And this reminds me of the Charlie Munger advice that any damn fool can see. This is what Munger said in one of his speeches. Quote, Any damn fool can see that a horse carrying a light weight with a wonderful win rate and a good position, etc., etc., is way more likely to win than a horse with a terrible record and extra weight, and so on, and so on. But, if you look at the odds, the bad horse pays 100 to 1, whereas the good horse pays 3 to 2 then it's not clear which is statistically the best bet using the mathematics of Fermat and Pascal, end quote. Here we see the first glimpse of why Simmons is a good forecaster and why he's talking about this with other good forecasters, Cousin Sal and Joe House, because it's not about the absolute value, it's about the relative value. We want to figure out, is it a better bet to place it with short odds and a Um, favorite horse, or to take longer odds against someone that um, might be less likely to win or to achieve it. There are other areas where this idea is in practice. Betting odds in Las Vegas, like the guys are talking about, compared to locker room skills. In the stock market, This is comparing technicals, that is, what the stock market price is, that's the external thing, with the fundamentals, that is, what do the financials say about a company. Benjamin Graham had a great term for this when he said that the stock market in the short term is a voting machine, and in the long run it's a weighing machine. So voting is like betting odds in Las Vegas, or technical analysis of a stock price. It's the short term, it's what 
a lot of people immediately think compared to a weighing machine, which is more the long term, it's more the internal characteristics. In Hollywood, we can see this comparing the box office or the external immediate perception with Academy Awards. I was surprised to see that Shawshank Redemption was a movie that underperformed its meager $30 million budget, but it's one of the best movies that's ever been made. We can see this too on a poker table, where the size of the poker pot is the external perception. It's what's out of our control, and the internal is the cards in our hand. And sometimes you want to play a sure thing winner for a small pot, and sometimes if it doesn't cost a lot to stay in, you can take it a shot, you can take a shot at the pot with a long shot. That's a lot of shots. The final example I could come up with was the housing market, where the housing market, the price of houses in an area like, say, San Francisco or along a lake, are the external perception. That's the price. Whereas the internal characteristics of a house are maybe the school district that it's in, or the size, or the age, or the upgrades. Sometimes these things can converge, where the external perception matches the internal characteristics. It's when a stock is valued in the same way for the short term and the long term. It's when an average team has average odds. It's when you hold a pair of nines with a mediocre pot going into the flop with one other player remaining. But big gains come from finding situations where, to use Charlie Munger's words, the wonderful horse doesn't pay three to two, but maybe 20 to one. Philip Tetlock, who wrote the book Super Forecasting, which we'll be using as a backbone for this episode, suggests we strike a balance between the internal and the external. This is what Tetlock writes, quote, Super forecasters know that there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing is 100% unique. Language purists be damned. Uniqueness is a matter of degree. So super forecasters conduct creative searches for comparison classes even for seemingly unique events. End quote. So what Tetlock is saying here is that we need to find something to compare to in every situation. That is, we need to find something that had similar internal characteristics or similar external uh, views of something and then compare it to that and then we can see how that comparison class played out and use that information to influence our decision. During the NBA season, Simmons talked to professional gambler Haralabob Vulgaris, who pointed out something we looked at in episode 32 of this podcast. In that episode, we looked at what Michael Mobison calls the paradox of skills. And Mobison noted that as skill levels increase, you need more luck to succeed. He could have been talking about gambling on professional sports. Vulgaris has backed this up when he talked to Simmons and said how it's harder now than ever to win as a gambler, but if he really wanted to grind it out, he would bet on smaller division NCAA basketball games because there's more value there. There's less people. The paradox of skill is less important. So besides gambling and betting, how else can we apply this idea of our lives? This idea of finding the best value to invest our resources in. I like to think of it as small bets creating win-win situations. When we take our kids on a weekend trip somewhere, we try to start with a state park. State parks always come to mind because it's an investment of some time and some money, just like a bet on a horse or a football team, and you get some reward, the pleasure from your day. And it's been 
my experience that these kind of trips pay well. That is, they don't have long odds. It's like winning $20 in your betting pool each week. You can buy a lunch with it a few times, but it won't pay for your car. To get that kind of payout, you need to find value that others don't see. This isn't easy. Investor Howard Marks likes to point out that to make money in the stock market, you have to be different and you have to be right. And sometimes, finding things that are different and right are too hard. And when they're too hard, we need to learn to stay away. Two. That team's a mess. How are they the favorites in that division? I think it's ludicrous. I don't get it. I think they flipped a coin or a four-sided coin for this one. But I just don't know who else to take. Like I don't like the Texans. You guys like the Texans. The Jags, they're the... The sweetheart of the division. Everybody's darling. No. I don't know. Very young. I like Houston. I think Osweiler's going to be good. I would go. Um, I wouldn't bet on anything in this division. Stay so away. So let's move on. Do you agree, smart. House? Stay yeah. away from the AFC South. Stay away. Um, it's great that they're having a gambling podcast and they decide just to stay away from one area. But that's probably the right choice. When things are too hard to figure out when it's not a great option for you. It's easy to just stay away. And this is the same advice that Warren Buffett gives. Ted Williams described in his book, The Science of Hitting, that the most important thing uh, for a hitter is to wait for the right pitch. And that's exactly the philosophy I have about investing. Wait for the right pitch. Yeah, and wait for the right, uh, wait for the right deal. And, and it will come. It's the key to investing. So to put it into terms that apply to our NFL predictions with Simmons, the AFC South is not the right opportunity. It's not the right pitch. It's like an outside curveball that a batter is reaching for. He's not going to make good contact with that pitch. Buffett and his partner Charlie Munger like to say that their job is to be good capital allocators. They want to direct their time, effort, and money into things that have the largest possible reward. Charlie Munger says, quote, proper allocation of capital is an investor's number one job, end quote. And he says Buffett is better at this than anybody he's ever seen. Sending off dollars of your money or minutes of your time or employees of your business requires you to say no to more things than you say yes to. Some problems will be so hard to figure out that it's better for you to move on. In episode 17 of this podcast, we looked at the story of Charles Ponzi, the man who the Ponzi scheme is named for. Ponzi wasn't the first schemer who robbed Peter to pay Paul, but his scheme involved so much money and so many people at a certain time in American history that it bears his name now. But here's the thing. Ponzi didn't set out to scheme anyone necessarily. This was what his plan was. There's a thing called international reply coupons, which are basically a system for converting stamps from one country to the stamp for another country. Here's what Ponzi wanted to do. He wanted to take 100 US dollars and convert it to 1,000 Italian lira. Then he wanted to take that 1,000 lira and buy international reply coupons in Italy. He could get more coupons for a thousand lira in Italy than he could for a hundred dollars in the U.S. His plan was to then bring the coupons back to the United States, and it was to either sell them back to the post office, or it was to find an institutional client to send them to, or sell it to other investors. He didn't exactly know. So even though he had 
more international applied coupons than he could have bought with his initial $100. He couldn't figure out that last step. And the reason he couldn't figure out that last step is because there was no last step. There was no solution for him to unload the coupons. His plan was too hard to solve. He should have given up. It was like the AFC South. Ponzi should have stayed away and waited for a better opportunity to invest his time and his money. Tatlock addresses this in Super Forecasting. He writes, quote, Focus on questions where your hard work is likely to pay off. Don't waste time either on easy clock-like questions where simple rules of thumb can get you close to the right answer or on impenetrable cloud-like questions where even fancy statistical models can't beat the dart-throwing chimp. Concentrate on questions in the Goldilocks zone of difficulty where effort pays off the most. End quote. So we can see here that if something is too hard, you should definitely, definitely stay away from it. You only have so much time, so much money, so many employees, so many resources. Focus those things on the results that give you the best return. Three. Bill almost won, and Brady missed a wide open Gronkowski on the safety to tie the game. Two point Manny break. made two yeah. throws the whole game. Yeah. And then in the Super Bowl, the defense was awesome. We bet on it. We jumped on them in that point. Clearly, some greater forces were at work. Right. But something. I happened, just don't though. understand how they're going to be as good this year as they were last year. Everything went right for them last year. Every single thing. Yeah, you got you. Here, Simmons is talking about how every little thing went right for the Denver Broncos last year. And this points out our third point, mean reversion. The Denver Broncos overachieved and had more things go uh, their way. They were lucky more than they were unlucky last year. And so they're probably going to be mean reverters this next year. Mean reversion is an especially common factor when luck plays a role. In the podcast, Simmons House and Cousin Sal talk about when teams won or lost convincingly and when they won or lost unconvincingly. The guys wanted to figure out how lucky a team was. The more convincing the win or loss, a larger difference in scores, the more you could tell about the intrinsic skill of the team. In games with large margins of victory, the role that luck played is probably smaller. Imagine you try to play tennis against Serena Williams. She will crush you. There may be some luck involved, you may get a few points in, but it's mostly going to be skill. However, if you and I trot down to the nearest tennis court to play an afternoon session of doubles, the role of luck becomes more important. When games are closer, luck has a larger role in the outcome. That's what the Denver Broncos saw. In 2015, last year when at the football season, Denver was 10-3 in games decided by 7 points or fewer. Now, with randomness thrown in, and there will be randomness, have you seen how a football bounces around? It's more likely that their record in close games will be a 50-50 split. So instead of being 10-3 in close games, it's good chances that they'll be 5-7 or 7-4 or something more like that. A National Football Post article titled Three Stats That Can Attempt to Predict the 2016 NFL Season did the legwork for us on this. This is what the article says. Quote, In 2014, the Packers and Bengals were a perfect 8-0-1 in one-score games. In 2015, Green Bay and Cincinnati combined to go 6-6 in such games. 13 
teams had winning records in games decided by 7 points or fewer in 2014. In all, those teams combined to go 57-19-2, a 75% win rate. In 2015, those same teams went 59-45, and in tighter games, closer to a 50% success ratio, end quote. So we see here that one year, teams were, that were lucky. They had the ball bounce their way in close games. They won 75% of them. And the next year, as we get more data into our sample that includes randomness, the tight game ratio goes to 50%. So the one year is an outlier. The year where they win 75% of their games is an outlier. The year that Denver goes 10-3 and in close games is probably also going to be an outlier too. Note here that mean reversion works going the other way too. If you get bad luck, you can recover from it in a state of randomness. This is from the same National Football Post article. Quote, the five teams, Jets, Raiders, Titans, Bears, and Giants, with the worst luck in 2014, that is teams that had a 20% win rate in close games, the next year their winning percentage doubled in close games, end quote. So we can see here the same effect, but instead of coming from the top back down to the mean, we can see them rising from the bottom and going back to the mean. Michael Mobison has done a lot of work on the role of skill and luck, and he's figured out that football outcomes are decided by a bit more luck than skill. His test for how much luck is involved is to ask, can you lose on purpose? If it's hard to lose on purpose, then there's more luck involved. Stock picking and throwing darts are two things like this, Mobison points out. Chess, on the other hand, has much less luck and more skill involved. What we need to do well is to know the difference. And Philip Tetlock warns against a bait-and-switch that sometimes occurs when we're figuring out the skill and luck. This is what Tetlock writes. Quote, This particular bait-and-switch, replacing was it a good decision with did it have a good outcome, is both popular and pernicious. Savvy poker players see this mistake as a beginner's blunder. A novice may overestimate the probability that the next card will win her hand. Bet big, get lucky, and win but winning doesn't retroactively make her foolish bet wise. Conversely, a pro may correctly see that there is a high probability of winning the hand, bet big, get unlucky, and lose, but that doesn't mean her bet was unwise. Good poker players, investors, and executives all understand this. If they don't, they can't remain good at what they do because they will draw false lessons from experience, making their judgment worse over time." End quote. So Tedlock is pointing out here that you need to make your decision before the role of luck gets involved. You need to think about the process of what you do. I was surprised when I was looking up those football quotes how the Denver Broncos uh, failed to do this. In the same article that listed their 10-3 record in close games, the players were all quoted as saying how they got used to playing in tight games and how it's something that they're, they do all the time and so they know how to grind it out. There weren't any quotes. And maybe this is part of being in the situation. Maybe it's something that the coaches will admit behind closed doors, that they got lucky, that there is a role of luck, and that maybe they should reevaluate their process. Because if your outcome is affected by luck, you need to figure out if the other things you were doing were good or not. And sometimes that can be hard. One thing that we can do to improve our general decision-making is to have some skin in the game. Four.
Can Washington win the NFC East? Of course they can. Okay. Not only can they, I believe they will, and I'm going to allocate some capital in that direction. Now, until we see Joe House's uh, betting receipt, Twitter handle, House from D.C., we won't really know if he's made his bet, but we do know that having skin in the game brings out a different, usually better set of decision-making skills. Yvonne Chunard is the guy who started Patagonia, but before he started Patagonia Clothing, he ran the Chunard Equipment Piton Company, and he had skin in the game because he was the person using the pitons. He was the one that was out there climbing, literally putting his life on the line behind the quality of craftsmanship of what he was working on. Seth Klarman has said about investing that one way an investing firm succeeds is by having is by having its own capital alongside its clients' capital. They had skin in the game. Kelly Johnson, the father figure of the Skunk Works program at Lockheed Martin, said that he would go up in a test flight once a year to have the hell scared out of him so he would have the proper perspective to design airplanes. Skin in the game helps us make better choices. It helps us think through the entire process of decisions better. But it's not easy to do. Anson Dorrance, the subject of episode 30 of this podcast, was once in a USA coaches meeting for USA Soccer, and he proposed that any time a coach got fired from the program, every administrator who appointed that coach should be fired when the coach was fired. The idea was that if you are going to be an administrator and you think a coach is good, but he ends up getting fired or she ends up getting fired, then that administrator should use lose her job too. The idea that the coach is making poor decisions on the soccer pitch and should be relieved of his duties easily translates to the administrator. You know what happened to Dorrance's proposal? Nobody seconded the motion because none of the administrators, none of the people whose jobs would ultimately be on the line wanted to have that much skin in the game. Jim Chanos had a similar idea when it comes to investing, and this is what Chano said in a Financial Times podcast interview. Quote, so we have to look at Arthur Anderson, not the Arthur Anderson partners that were signing off on this, and we have to look at the banks as a whole, not the guys who are running the banks or who are doing the deals. And so you get this asymmetry where we just decide, well, then we're just going to keep finding them, but we're never going to send anyone to jail for crossing the line in any kind of financial crime, and I think that's not a good situation. End quote. So the not good situation that Chanos points out is that when regulators, when prosecutors go after people for a financial crime, they go after too large of a picture. Their range is too wide. They're not finding individuals. And if individuals know that they don't have skin in the game, that is, they only get the upside but don't have to pay the downside, then they are going to make decisions in a different way. A friend of mine likes to say, talk is cheap. And he's right. Skin in the game is the opposite of that. And it leads to different, often better decision-making skills. Another way that we can make better choices and better decisions and have better outcomes is to start to invert our questions. Five. 
away with this now, right? Well, let me I mean, flip this not? around. That's, that's yeah. what I think, too. Yeah. You know I love playing this game. Are we yeah. sure the Packers are good? Are we sure the Packers are good? Here we get to listen in to Simmons inverting the question. And inversion is a great way to look at a problem differently and start to come up with different answers. One thing that you and I and everyone else does really well is tell good stories to ourselves. And when we tell these stories, we tend to get into a rut of potential outcomes. We see things the way things happened and think that was the only way things could have happened. We'll get into the details of this with point number six, but for now, let's just focus on inversion. Rather than ask, are the Packers good? We can ask, are we sure the Packers are good? And come up with reasons why this may be the case. Charlie Munger gives the advice to invert, always invert. He says this because you start to see more of the picture. For example, what's healthy? Well, there's a sea of stuff that's healthy, and so starting to get concrete ideas is hard. Let's invert the question. Let's start with an easier question. What's unhealthy? Ah, here we can list a few things right off the bat. Things that are nice and easy. Smoking cigarettes, getting a sunburn, eating Twinkies. Now, the answer, the inverted question, and we can invert our answers to see what is actually healthy. Not smoking is healthy. Not getting a sunburn is healthy. Not eating Twinkies is healthy. I used inversion to power my book about technology startups that failed. Rather than ask the question, what did a success like Mark Zuckerberg do? I asked, what did a failure like John Doe do? Asking that and then you can succeed by doing the opposite of those things. There were a handful of ways that unsuccessful companies routinely fail. If you avoid those, you'll be on your way. Monish Pabrai talks about how Coca-Cola used the idea of inversion to protect their company. Coca-Cola's biggest moat, one of their many moats, but a big moat, is their brand name, Coca-Cola. And for a long time, they defended this vigorously. They didn't let anyone have Coca or Cola, even if they used ingredients that were Coca and they used ingredients that were Cola which is how Coca-Cola got started. They didn't let anyone use Coca with a K or Cola, like Pepsi-Cola, for a long, long time. They defended this vigorously because they thought, how do we lose this moat? How do we lose the advantage of brand name? And their conclusion was, you lose that advantage if you let other things be named similar to you. And so they defended that. They inverted the question and figured out, how do we lose? And they did all of the things in their power to stop that. We can do this too. This doesn't apply only to sport betting or to Coca-Cola. We can do it with things like our health. Ask what's unhealthy and don't do those things. We can use this in our relationships. What would be a mean thing to do to your girlfriend or husband or mom or brother? And don't do those things. We can do this at work too. Ask what is the best way to get fired? And don't do those things. You can do this to your car. Ask How can I beat the crap out of my car? And don't do those things. Inversion is a really helpful tool. And for Simmons here, he applies it to the football scheme. Rather than ask, are the Packers good? We can ask, are we sure the Packers are good? We can introduce doubt and introduce reasons why we think the Packers are not good. The 
discussion with the Green Bay Packers also often starts around their star quarterback Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is really good, but we get into the rut of just thinking about Aaron Rodgers and why he's good in his past successes, rather than thinking about the opposite questions. What would make the Packers bad? And then once we start to ask that question, once we ask the inverted question, we pursue a different trail of breadcrumbs to different answers. And it's only in asking both of those things can we get the full picture of what's happening. And getting the full range of outcomes is another tip for thinking well. Six. I just, I think, you know, they went 10 and 6 last year. And if you play that season 20 times, Mm -hmm. 10 and 6 is the worst outcome for that team. They were so talented. It was a weird year, fluky year, just whatever. And I don't know. I just think they're going to be really good. Here, Simmons is talking about the Seattle Seahawks. And if you had played their season 20 times, what the different outcomes will be. We tell ourselves wonderful stories. And the problem is, is that we start to believe them. And we underestimate the range of potential outcomes there were in all of those stories. I try to think of outcomes like a roulette wheel. Because that's something that's very easy to visualize. If the ball lands on black 26, we can see right away that is one of many outcomes. The mistake that we make in thinking about outcomes outside the roulette wheel is if it lands on the equivalent of black 26 in our lives, we think that the options are only black options to land on, or even numbered options to land on, or numbers greater than 10 to land on. We tend to tell ourselves too narrow of a story of the potential outcomes. Philip Tetlock writes about this as well in Super Forecasting. Quote, The expert forecasts whether the Communist Party would remain in power in the Soviet Union, whether there would be a violent overthrow of apartheid in South Africa, and whether Quebec would separate from Canada, were all over the board. This is what happens when after Tetlock uh, looks into the research. Quote, After the deadlines for three forecasts passed, and the correct answers were clear, no, no, and no. I asked the experts to consider the plausibility of counterfactual scenarios. So this is Tetlock. Counterfactual scenarios are situations where the roulette ball could have landed in other spots in the roulette wheel. And this is what uh, Tetlock actually found. So counterfactual scenarios in which small butterfly effect tweaks cause history to unfold differently. When the what if implied that their failed forecast would have turned out right, for example, if the coup against Gorbachev in 1991 had been better planned and the plotters had been less drunk and better organized, the Communist Party would still be in power. The experts tended to welcome the what-ifs like an old friend, but when the scenario implied that their correct forecast could easily have turned out wrong, they dismissed it as speculative. End quote. So, Tedlock is saying here, if you have an idea, and there's a small tweak that says your idea could have been right, people believe the small tweak. Whereas if there's a small tweak and your idea could be wrong, well, then uh, people are less believing of that. It's like if you had almost run in the roulette and then the pit boss said, well, the humidity in here is a little off and you would blame the humidity. Whereas um, if the humidity was high and you won, you would be more likely to attribute your success in roulette to the good luck charm in your pocket or the way that you slide the ball through there. The Seahawks went 10-6, and six, but they could have won 11 games, 12 games, 13 games, 14 games, 15 games, or 16 games. 
The higher numbers are unlikely, but they are in the range of outcomes in the same way that green spaces are, are on the roulette wheel. Life isn't like a roulette wheel, though. We can't see the places the ball might land, but there are things we can do to peer through this fog. There are things we can do to get a better idea of the full range of outcomes. One of them is to change the value of a key variable and see what happens. If you have a report in your office, a report for your business, and it assumes 15% change in some variable, what happens if you run the report and the change is only 2.5% or the change is 50%? And just tweaking a single variable can lead you down different paths of potential outcomes that you may not have considered because you got stuck in a mental rut. You can also ask what-if questions, no matter how unlikely. Forget what those junior high teachers told you, or at least they definitely told me, that what-if questions weren't asking in school. What-if questions are really good for developing counterfactuals and seeing all the range of potential outcomes. You can also restart the story from a different place. This is what happened on Apollo 13 that was part of the problem. In the book by Gene Kranz, he writes that as Apollo 13 was doing its orbit around the Earth and it was entering into the translunar phase, so it was going to uh, be leaving Earth's gravitational pull, traveling through space and entering the Moon's gravitational pull, they had a problem with the antennas on board. They were getting these odd messages from the antennas. Well, there had been an explosion on the shuttle during liftoff because of a lightning strike. They didn't know this. They thought the funky data they were getting was from the antennas, and so they were following the trail, the breadcrumbs, if it was an antenna mistake. And in doing this, they missed a key difference. They were pursuing the wrong set of problems. Because there wasn't problems with the antenna, there were problems with the entire um, energy supply in a different part of the ship. So if you can reset your story from a different place, if you could have gone back in time at the Apollo 13 mission and said, forget about the antennas, think about this as if these errors you're getting on the computer, these problems that are lighting up in the cockpit, what if you had no idea about the antenna? How would you go about solving them? And that's what ended up happening on Apollo 13. Once they got on that path, they were able to successfully figure out, we have a water problem. We have a carbon dioxide problem. We have an energy problem. We need to move three people into a landing module for four days when that module was only designed to support two men for two days. So once they restarted the story from a different place, the Apollo 13 engineers were able to figure out what was going on exactly. I like Bill Simmons. I like listening to Bill Simmons. I like reading Bill Simmons. And hopefully breaking apart his different perspectives on the NFL betting options were things that are going to help your thinking as much as they've helped mine. Number one, try to find the best value. Your goal isn't to find the fastest horse with the lightest weight jockey with terrible odds. Your goal is to find something that is mispriced, something that is different and correct that the market doesn't already know. Two, if a problem is too hard, stay away from it. Investing is like this. Investing is really hard. Stay away from the problem and simply index. Three, when luck is involved, mean reversion will occur. The Denver Broncos are probably not going to have a season like they did last season. They are probably going to revert to the mean. 
Four, once you have skin in the game, once you have a stake, once you shift your decision making to a process, to a position where you have something to lose, you will probably end up making better decisions. Five, invert the question to get yourself out of a storytelling rut. You can think of things forward and backward to get a more complete picture. And six, consider the full range of outcomes no matter how likely. Even the process of discussing unlikely outcomes could lead you to real valuable solutions. Thanks for listening to episode 34 of Mike's Notes. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.